So in about 10 days, Clover and I are going to co-preach a sermon at the Festival of Homiletics. Anybody ever heard of it? <laughs> no. In our world, it's a really big deal, actually. It's probably the largest preaching festival uh, in the country. And, and they bring in some of the best preachers in the country, and we get to listen to them. And we don't know why we got invited <laughs> to be a part of this, but we have. And um, now, we're not teaching how to preach. We are actually leading worship for all those pastors, probably 500 or so, that will show up at a church for us in downtown at Trinity, and we'll preach to them. So it's a chance for us, working pastors, to pastor to other pastors that night. So um, we wanted to offer a version of that sermon this morning uh, for a few reasons. One, we need the practice. Um, two, we thought, you know, it's, it's a good thing for us as a community to, to turn our gaze toward all those church workers who have had a, you know, a lot of churches, this has been really hard the last couple of years, and for us to pray and think about and reflect on, on what that's been. So there's that. It gives you a little window into our world, we hope. And then finally, we also hope that what we're saying today uh, translates to your own life, that there's some, some nuggets uh, of, of wisdom and goodness that you can take with you to reflect on yourself, okay? So. We have a second reading from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29. This is the letter written from Jeremiah to the people in exile. These are words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The letter said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may hear that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So from 1947 to 1967, Montview Church flourished. It was led by a beloved senior pastor, his name was Arthur Miller, and it benefited from that post-war era when churches were at the center of a wider society's conversation. But by the time Dr. Miller retired, the United States and the whole church landscape was changing quickly. There was the war in Vietnam, there was the civil rights movement, huge cultural shifts and church attendance had begun to wane. So it would have been challenging for any new senior pastor 
coming into this church. Here at Montview, the new pastor uh, had a very different style of leadership, and let's say things weren't going all that well. So after just a few years, according to at least one version of Montview folklore, it was a Thursday afternoon in 1974, and that senior pastor said, I'm done. He couldn't take it anymore, and he walked out the door. Now, truth is, it didn't happen quite that abruptly, but pretty close to that. And the way we heard it, the three associate pastors at the time, that day, had to turn to one another and say, Who's preaching on Sunday? (laughs) It might be a, a stretch for us to relate to, but in a time of political division, cultural tension, war, threat of nuclear war, and declining church attendance. Just try to imagine those three associate pastors had to decide how to take on the leadership of Montview Church at a time of disorientation inside the church walls and outside the church walls. But an interesting thing happened. The congregation really liked this shared model of leadership. Not everyone, of course, but slowly the idea of a shared model of leadership began to take shape. And after a lot of discernment and a lot of committees, because we're Presbyterians, in October 1975, the Montview Co-Pastorate was born. And so long before that flattened structure team approach that we hear about in corporate America uh, was was a part of life, Montview embraced a model that allowed for more diverse voices in the pulpit and more collaborative decision-making. And the point, though, here is that you shouldn't miss, is that there's no way, no way that a church this large, mainline church like Montview would have come up with such an out-of-the-box model if they hadn't been in total crisis. As hard as it is when we're in the midst of it, as hard as it is to see the path that's forming in front of us, when we are in times of trauma, those very conditions open up the way for something new. Many of you are familiar uh, with the schema Dr. Walter Brueggemann uses to read and to understand the Psalms. We've taught on that. We've preached on that. He identifies three categories, Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of new orientation. A Psalm of orientation speaks to life when it's stable, organized, and by and large, predictable. A psalm of disorientation speaks to life when it has been upended and you feel dislocated. And Psalm 137, Kristen read, is a great example of a psalm of disorientation. The people were dislocated, sent to Babylon. And I think we think We can understand this time in history for our experiences in the world as a season of disorientation. Now, the thing about new orientation, the Psalms of new orientation, is that new orientation comes 
after the storm. It's the calm after the storm. And it comes as grace and gift. The light begins to shine into the haze of what we've been experiencing, that the dry land begins to yield new life, that water begins to flow. And a new orientation isn't something we can manufacture. It comes to us. And it's not reorientation. We're not going back before the trauma or before the suffering. We are changed by the suffering. So these days we all find ourselves in some state of disorientation and maybe even trauma, collectively and individually. Each of our experiences the last few years has been unique, of course, but if there's one common denominator for most of us, it's that we're exhausted. For those in the helping professions, for doctors and teachers and clergy, this has been especially so. The great resignation is a, is a reality across professions, but for example, among clergy, recent research found that just last year, 42% of pastors considered leaving ministry. That's up 13% just from the year before. And this isn't pastors that are just thinking about leaving a church to go to another church. 42% are thinking about getting out of ministry altogether. Reverend Bruce Ray's Chow is a well-respected pastor, was the former or a moderator of our denomination, the PCUSA, who recently resigned from his church. His letter to the congregation is honest about what so many pastors are experiencing. This is what he writes. While many variables impacted my decision, the overriding reason that I am choosing to leave is that I can no longer deny the toll the pandemic has taken on me. I am emotionally, spiritually, and physically worn out, and it has become abundantly clear that I am in need of a time of Sabbath and renewal. I am reluctantly admitting to myself that I have done enough. Simply put, I have no more to give, he says. Our ordination vows call us to serve with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. And while I will always love this community and will be thoughtful in my leaving, I can no longer ignore my lack of energy and imagination, end quote. When the pandemic hit, pastors and church leaders began ministering in a strange land, a land where we had to, to adapt to new technologies, had to develop new safety protocols, scratch those protocols and develop new safety protocols, and try not to compare ourselves to the other churches that we could now all watch online together all while supporting our own congregants who are going through their own disorientation and loss and grief. So as Chow so honestly named it, it's many of the church professionals were left feeling empty of the imagination and the energy that they needed. Their love for their communities had not changed, but their confidence in ministering in the ways that they were used to had been shaken. In today's scripture, the prophet Jeremiah speaks to a people whose lives have been dramatically shaken. He speaks into the trauma of the Israelites who were taken captive 
in a foreign land who were singing songs of lament. And today I think it is kind of eerily resonant with what we are watching with the Ukrainian and the Afghan refugees trying to sing songs in foreign lands. And Jeremiah gives the exiles what seems like counterintuitive advice as an antidote to their suffering. Rather than saying, hold on, it's, gonna, it's coming, we're going to go back home, he tells the exiles, establish yourselves, build houses to live in, plant gardens, have babies, let your children marry, invest in a future. Babylon is your new home, and in its welfare is your welfare. The question for us, we think, is how might we take this strange letter with Jeremiah's counterintuitive advice and apply it to the strange and disorienting times in which we find ourselves? So here's two suggestions. First, just like Jeremiah invites the Israelites to do what they already know how to do, things like plant gardens, build houses. Maybe this is a time for us too in our new territory that we find ourselves in to claim some old spiritual ways and to focus on what we already know how to do as a church community. In the book of Acts, the early church regularly gathered to do four things, it said. Break bread, sing hymns, read scripture, and pray. So maybe in today's church, we need to remember our core calling to build community, to preach the gospel, to take care of each other, to celebrate the sacraments like this morning. And maybe this is an invitation for each of us in our own lives to reflect on the values that matter to us most and just stay close to those. Maybe to recover from the trauma that we've all been through, what we really need it's just a return to basics, the things we already know how to do and do them with faithfulness and commitment. The second thing we think that Jeremiah is telling us is inviting us, he's inviting us to share the load. You know, one of the best things about the co-pastor model and by best, we often mean really hard and frustrating <laughs> is that we have to give up control and actually share the load and share preaching sometimes. There you go. Giving up control can be really hard and it can be really freeing to do so. For 47 years, Montview has had leaders who've shared the load and that has created a unique culture throughout this church that recognizes a diversity of voices and gifts. Another question is, in our individual lives, we might consider how we can share the load. For instance, are there people you can tap to share the demands on your life? Are there resources in others you haven't been able to or are not willing to recognize that can help carry the burdens that you have? You, we, 
don't have to do this thing called life alone. Now, one of the ironies in having us suggest that you should, we should lighten our load is that clergy types are often the worst at it. We, are, we don't put anything to, to faith. We don't really put our trust in God. We tell others that God loves them for who they are and not for what they do. Uh, each week we try to preach a gospel of grace and abundance, and it's almost as if we forget that that abundance is there for us too. Most pastors leave little to chance, and they wear themselves thin, living by that same meritocracy uh, narrative that we so often are reminding you all is a lie. So maybe another point <laughs> is that after getting back to the basics and sharing the load, we have to be willing to let go of outcomes. We have to learn to trust that what we do is enough. It's faithful. And what happens after that is God's business, that it is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, Judaism offers this wisdom in a concept called dainu. And dainu means it would have been enough. And at Passover each year, our Jewish siblings sing a song listing the 15 miracles of God that God performed to deliver Israel from Egypt. And after each miracle they sing, Dainu, it would have been enough, meaning just one of those blessings would have been more than sufficient. So the, the song is a testament to God's abundance. So maybe right now, we all need to hear God say to all of us, Dainu. It would have been enough. In the midst of trying to meet every need in our lives, trying to attend every function of our kids, for clergy, trying to knock every sermon out of the park, <laughs> can we hear God say to us, have some faith. Plant gardens, build houses, do what you already know how to do, and share the load. Can we hear God say, that you don't have to be the giver of all gifts. You can't be. That we are not the good news. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the good news. God is the giver of the gifts. And so no matter who we are, no matter what our circumstances and the challenges that we face, if we will offer what's ours to offer, then we can trust that our gifts and we are enough. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.